Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. I still feel like we're in the new year. I know we're in February. Uh, January flew by. And I'm still thinking in terms almost of New Year's resolutions. How many of those, how, how many of you guys did that? You don't have to raise your hand, but just thinking about it. How many, I think we all do it implicitly if we don't do it explicitly. You know, maybe we don't keep a list. Maybe we don't, um, you know, describe the things. But I think inside we kind of feel like when the new year rolls around, we're supposed to have kind of a new me, a new self, a J 2.0 or a U 2.0. You kind of feel that way. And I kind of, I'm curious, 50 days in, how's that going for you? How's that working? Probably not too good. Probably not too well at all. I'd say for me, uh, again, implicitly, I, I probably made some new, I don't feel like I've accomplished anything just yet. It's about 40, 50 days in, and I, I feel like I'm still the same old me. I think it's helpful in some ways um, to have New Year's resolutions. Just It's a natural human thing, but I think by and large, and this is low-hanging fruit, by the way, here at Calvary St. George's. I mean, this is a little too easy to take pot shots at New Year's resolutions. Um, it's helpful in some ways, but I think at the end of the day, like focusing on self so much is... is our first recourse, and it's a little too easy. You know, I have a, a confession to make. I have this horrible habit. Um, this happened even, even today, this afternoon. Ben and I were, had my phone out, and my YouTube app was like, hey, do you want to watch this? Uh, but I have this bad habit of watching YouTube videos of, of bad sermons. How, anybody else do that? It looks like some of you are laughing. Maybe I have more friends here at this service than I do at the others. But um, I have this bad habit of, and when I say bad sermon, I don't mean just a bad sermon. That's, that's funny enough as it is. And you feel free. I, I, this could be a bad sermon. Who knows? You can laugh at me, and maybe I'm on YouTube one day. But when I say bad sermon, I mean these sermons that are trying to promote self-help and trying to be a motivational speech, you know, trying to get your habits for the new year. And I, I tuned into these things the last six weeks, five weeks. I've tuned into these, these church websites, and I'm telling you, by and large, like 85% of sermons out there in January about like getting on the right path for the new year, you know, setting your uphill habits, getting these steps towards holiness and godliness, finding your potential, um, being productive, finding your purpose. They always alliterate, too. That's very helpful, too, for um, just for the ears. But, and I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm not very good at alliteration. I took that from a bad sermon. But, but in all seriousness, uh, this is 80% of what you'll hear out there. 90% of what you hear out there is how to improve yourself. And, you know, reading this passage tonight from Deuteronomy that, just, that Ben just read for us, it's easy to kind of, like, grab a scripture and be like, oh, yeah, that's what this is all about. You know, the context of the scripture in Deuteronomy is God is speaking through Moses to the people of Israel. And they're about to enter the promised land, right? They're about to enter the promised land. It's essentially saying, all right, this is a whole fresh start for you guys. Choose life. Do good. Everything will work out for you. I mean, literally, it says choose life. That you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and cleaving to him. For that means life to you and length of days that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So the idea is, yeah, go for it. It's, it's January, it's February. You, you should be sticking to these things. And of course, part of the promise there is, all right, if you, if you cross your T's and dot your I's, everything's going to go really well for you. But if you don't, you're going to be cursed. You're going to perish. So yeah, maybe if you stick to the weight loss plan, to the diet, you know, to whatever your new project is, you'll, you'll lose the weight. You'll, you'll be feeling good. But if you don't, you'll gain the weight. 
you'll, you'll be feeling bad about yourself. And that's almost, that's a simple kind of analogy there. But it's easy to like take a text out of Deuteronomy like this and apply it to me. And that's what these sermons inevitably do. And again, I'm doing this partly because I'm self-righteous. I feel like, oh, these, these sermons are bad. But I think secondly, too, they're so seductive. They're so seductive. It's easy to fall into that way of thinking. So don't think this is just me saying, oh, I'm a better preacher. That's not at all what I'm saying. I just don't want us to fall into that trap. But inevitably, what, what happens is they, they pull, they, we, we all do this. We pull Scripture out of its context, and almost always out of the Old Testament, and be like, oh, this is, this is something that applies to me now in my life in a way that, it really shouldn't. And so the, keep in mind, this is to the people of Israel at a certain time in a certain place. Um, so it's not so easy to pull it out. I want to say a brief word. Maybe this is a little nerdy, so it can nerd out for just a second. But have you ever heard of Marcion? Marcion was an early church heretic um, who believed that we should just throw out the Old Testament. That has nothing to do with Jesus. And that was called a heresy, Marcionism. Because the idea was for him that the Old Testament had nothing to do with grace, had nothing to do with uh, the words or the actions uh, of Jesus. This is a completely different God. It's heresy because we need the Old Testament. We can't understand Jesus outside of the context of his fulfilling of the Old Testament, particularly the law and the prophets. So I'm not a Marcionite here. I'm not saying throw out the Old Testament, but I am saying hear it in its context. It's easy just to rip this out and make it about me. And inevitably, it makes us kind of macho Christians. I'm going to choose life. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to obey the Lord, and everything will work out for me. Well, I love the counterpoint. We didn't read this tonight in our, in our, our service, but the gospel-appointed, gospel text, I should say, appointed for today, comes from Matthew chapter 5, from the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know about if you've, if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, but it's intense. I'll read just a snippet, just a snippet, just to give you some context. So Jesus said, this is in verse 21, he says, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not kill. And whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be liable to the hell of fire. I'm going to end there. It goes on much, much further. But Jesus does the same thing. So that was with the the commandment, right, to not kill. And he says, it's actually harder than you think. It's not simply, did you pull the trigger? Did you do the deed? He's actually saying, um, the problem's much deeper than just the externals. The problem is right here. It's, how do you feel? What's going on in the inner person? Not just the things that we do. But he goes on to do that same kind of move with the law, with adultery, with divorce, with how we spend our money, how we worship, the way we talk to one another. The, the law is all-encompassing. It's not interested in just one sector of who we are. It's, it's interested in the whole person. You can't keep just part of it. It's all or nothing. And Jesus says it even goes down to the depths of who you are at your heart. And we kick off our worship services here um, with the, the collect of purity. What does it say? Almighty God, unto you all hearts are open. All desires known. From you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. We pray that every week, right? And what are we admitting on the front end? We're admitting that it's the heart that's the main problem. It's not just the outside. I mean, I can look really nice with this robe on. You know, I think it looks kind of, kind of silly. I mean, as far as Episcopal clergy wear goes, it's actually the right way to go. If you kept up with Paul Zoll's blog, it's wonderful. I, if you are interested in that, ask me about it after the service. But as far as that goes, I mean, yes, it looks, looks just fine, but it's, it's the inside that matters. We're recognizing that from the front of our service. So what am I saying here? Jesus is not bringing a new law, though. It's not a new law in the Sermon on the Mount. He's ratcheting up the same law. 
He's upping the ante. He's making it even more intense. He's saying, you think you can keep the law. You think you can choose life. You think that your New Year's resolution is so easy. Actually, it's much, 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 much more difficult and much worse than you thought. We were reflecting this week in our pastoral care meeting on Friday morning. We were going through Matthew 2. Um, and in Matthew 15, Jesus even goes even deeper too. He says, it's not what goes into a person that, that defiles them. It's not what they do with their hands or what they eat. It's actually from the heart that these things come out. Sin and poison and destructi- destructiveness, it all comes from within, not from without. So Jesus is just reifying the law. He's not bringing a new law. He's not a new lawgiver. He's not a new Moses. So the law is interested in all of what we do. And we talk a lot about the law and gospel here. Um, it's not just a personal obsession of mine or Jake's or Ben's. It is actually scriptural. You can't avoid it. Our lectionary cannot and will not avoid it because this is, this is the message. So what is the message? Is Jesus saying you've got to try harder? You've got to choose life? You've got to do better? Well, in some sense, yes. In some sense, yes. But that's not the end of the story. That's the first word. That is the law. The law is the requirement. And it is all-encompassing. And it is a hard word. It requires everything. So not just that we don't pull the trigger, but that we never hate. Not that we, just, that we don't ever have adultery, but that we never lust. Not that we ever, not ever divorce, but we, we have a perfect marriage if we're married. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It requires perfection across the board. You know, you and I as 21st century people, we don't really think in terms of right and wrong really all that much. I mean, maybe on some level, but hell and judgment, these things aren't really on our to-do list, so to speak. I remember growing up, uh, riding in the car with my aunt, and I would, you know, being a little boy, I'd say, Aunt Laurie, where are we going? And she would jokingly say, to hell if we don't change. That was supposed to be funny, but anyways... As a seven-year-old, it actually wasn't funny. It scared the hell out of me. I mean, it was very scary. It was the hell if we don't change. Oh, my gosh. But she was right on some level. I mean, this is true. Even though we don't think about this, here's the passage. I mean, Jesus is saying the law is all-encompassing. It is heavier and darker than you thought it was. It's a hard word. But it's not the last word. It's just the first word. And it's a true word, but it's not the last word. Because remember, I've said already, and I think if you look at Jesus' ministry and you look at the rest of the New Testament, and the Old Testament for that matter, the, the last word is the gospel. So Jesus is not a new lawgiver. He's not a new Moses. He's our Savior. We don't need a life coach. We don't need someone to kick us in the rear every once in a while and tell us to do better. We need a Savior. We don't need a life coach. We need a Savior. And so when you look at Jesus as just a lawgiver... This word is impossible. It's impossible. It's like that time when you're a little kid, going back to a little kid analogy, and you're wanting to reach the cereal on the top aisle. You can't do it. It is impossible. This is an impossible word. We're all guilty before this kind of word. And so if Jesus is merely a lawgiver, we're done. It's settled. Christianity is really not even really worth it because it can't solve the problem. Because that same word from Moses, choose life, we choose death 100% of the time. It's, not, it's out of our hands to choose. It's out of our hands. And that's why Jesus comes as our Savior. That's why his death um, is necessary. Not that we forced it. He chose in his good will to do that for us. He chose to die for you and for me. But I'll tell you this. So going back to these bad sermons, and this is kind of wrapping it up. These bad sermons, oftentimes, maybe improve, they, may, they may include the gospel. They may say things, well, we need God's grace. We need uh, God to save us from, from death and sin and the grave. But oftentimes, it's shown as, yeah, God needs to save us, but then we've got to get our act together. And I thought a very poignant uh, illustration was this. Have you seen the show Peaky Blinders? Uh, it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. 
But I don't want to give away too many plot points here, but there's a very powerful scene. So the protagonist is a guy named Thomas Shelby. He's an Irish gangster living in, in England uh, in the 1920s. And Thomas is a smart guy. He's a very, um, he's a very slippery guy. He, he evades death. He's a risky guy. He's got this major gambling empire. He's making a lot of money. And he, he constantly finds himself on the verge of death, and he's able to squeeze out, make a deal, do something to get out. Well, there's one scene where he is... As Jim said a couple of weeks ago, he's at the end of his rope. It's done. He's going to die. He's got the gun to his head, so to speak, literally. And they've dug the grave for him. They're ready to execute him. And, you know, unaware to you and me, there's someone there to save him. They save him last minute. He falls into the grave, and he's laying in the grave, but he's still alive. And the guy's like, what are you doing? Get up. Get out of the grave. Winston Churchill has a project for you. Get up. Thomas was horrified. He was already prepared. He was prepared to be let go, prepared to be freed. Uh, In this case, death was a freeing thing for him. And he was ripped out of that. He says, Winston Churchill has a job for you. You're not done yet. You're not free. That's, my friend, that's how the gospel is normally portrayed. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's not the gospel. But it's normally portrayed as, yes, God has to save us. God has to save us from death. But he's got work for us to do. Roll up your sleeves. It's not done. You're not free. All this stuff has been promised to you and it's taken right back away because you've got to get your act together now. You've got to start going to worship. You've got to tithe. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to do this, 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 and this, and this. That's not the gospel. That's the law. It's been ripped away. Everything that was given has been ripped away. So what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus paid it all. It's done. It's over. You died his death. He died your death. And yeah, you're laying in the grave. And he's saying, get up. I've got a feast prepared for you. There's nothing you have to do. It's already prepared. You don't even have to wash your hands. Here it is. Come to my table and eat. So there's something for us to do, but not in the way that it's it's a work. You know what I mean? We're, We're invited to come feast on him. He's given himself for us. All this talk about the law, death is required. It all leads to death. So these, these sermons that talk about find your potential, find your potential, find your intensity, you know, find your purpose. What I say is our potential is death. That's where we're headed. As, natural, as the natural man and woman, we're headed towards death. And God rips us out of that and says, come to my table and eat on me. So when we come to Holy Communion in just a moment, I don't want you just to remember that. That can become a law in itself. I've got to remember Jesus. Jesus has already remembered you. And when you hear the words, take Eat, this is my body, which was given for you. Take, drink, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news, that Jesus gives himself fully to you, not just in the first century, but here right now in the 21st, to you and to me. And for that, we can be thankful. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's, in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.